0: All my friends out there in podcast land, you have set your dial to CSWR, episode 23, also known as Combat Sports with Rhino, where we cover not just MMA, but boxing, kickboxing, Muay Thai, whatever we got on the old combat sports landscape. I am your host, Rhino, and we today are going to have a very uh, jam-packed episode, we'll call it. Our schedule includes our breakdown of UFC's Jacksonville, both one and two. Uh, the call-in questions that we have. Dreas uh will be reading our Twitter questions as well as her drop of the night. Uh we got our interview with Strike Force UFC bare knuckle fighting championship vet Ike Valley Flag. We just got a whole slew of things to get into, so let's go ahead and dive right in. So we have to get to uh last Wednesday's. We're just gonna do the main card for Jacksonville one for the UFC. Uh we got my boy. Andre Arlovsky, who turned back the clock again, got the unanimous decision over to the 2018 PFL heavyweight tournament champion, Felipe Lins. Uh, Felipe was faster in the first round and landed a little bit more, but then he kind of seemed to fade a little bit. And Andre, being the pit bull of old, landed the harder shots, landed more. It wasn't the most exciting fight in the world, but we will take it. I'm a big Andre Arlovsky fan, have been forever, so glad to see another member of the over 40 club get a win. Uh, then we went to Ricky Simone going uh against Ray Borg at Bantam this this was a pretty close fight. There was a lot of uh, back and forth between the two. Really, the Simone decision was based on the seven takedowns. I don't see any other reason why uh, they would have given it to Simone other than those seven takedowns. Ray Borg, man, you know thankfully he made weight, which was a big big fucking deal for him, but uh, another L for Ray Borg. Ricky Simone coming off his loss to Faber. So we'll have to wait and see what's next for these two guys in the always interesting bantamweight division. Wink, wink. The uh, (laughs) the next fight came at lightweight, which was uh, Drew Dober versus Alexander the Great Hernandez. Uh, Drew beat Alex by TKO at 425 in the second round. Drew did a good job of shaking off Alex's takedown attempts, keeping it on the feet, keeping the pressure high, uh, staying right Alex's face. Hernandez, I thought, was actually going to come out and be far more aggressive than he was. But, you know, to his credit, Drew Dober really took the fight over and uh, won with that CKO in the second. So kudos to him. I think Alex really drops down the list, and I think Dober has uh, quite the potential to uh, make some noise at 155. So uh, moving on to the bummer of the night for me, which was uh, Big Ben Rothwell defeating Ovin St. Prue by unanimous decision. This was a pretty uneventful round one and round two. Uh OSP did wobble Ben with a nice counter left, but Big Ben recovered pretty well and kept the pressure up uh through the second to the third, giving him the decision. I don't want to go too much onto that. OSP did look good at you know weighing in at 240. I could see him staying at, at heavyweight. Um again, I don't it's really hard to go back to 205 after you, you know, get your body up to 240. And he looked good. So I, I imagine he's gonna stay at heavyweight. Uh, Moving on to the, what we'll call the controversial fight of the night on this card. We had Glover Teixeira, another member of the over 40 heavyweight or light heavyweight club, uh, taking on Anthony Lionheart Smith. In round one, Smith was really controlling the distance. He used some great leg kicks in addition to his uh, jabbing away at Glover's face. Uh, But then in the second, all the way through the fifth, this was Glover Teixeira, almost one-way traffic. He really hurt Anthony a lot. There was a lot of chatter about how the fight should have been stopped. I'm also on that train. The the fight should have been stopped several times, if not by Herzog, who actually came out and said he made a mistake by not stopping it at certain points. But really, the the fault bears more on the corner for not stopping that fight uh, several times or in between rounds. But we'll get into, into that a little bit more later. So that was our recap for the main card of the first UFC Jacksonville. Uh, we're going to dive right into to Saturday's, which was also not without controversy. Uh, the first fight on the main card was my boy Sanghye Dong, who everyone loves that name, uh, going against Marlon Chito Vera. This round one was very close. There was a lot of good clinch fighting by both. The second round again was razor close. It was all action. It was awesome. Uh, in the third round, there was an early takedown for Vera. Um, again, I, I picked Song Yudon to win this and he did get the unanimous decision, but to me, no way. I thought Marlon, uh, should have taken that decision. And we'll, again, we're going to revisit more of this judging, uh, later on in the show. Our next fight was, uh, Eric Anders, my man, a former guest on combat sports with Rhino going against Christoph Jocko. Uh, early a- Anders landed the harder shots, you know what I mean. But Jocko looked just so much more technical. He was landing more of the straight shots, whereas Eric was kind of throwing the the wide winging shots. Uh, there was he kept on trying. Eric kept on trying to take Jocko to the fence and take him down. It never really it never really took you know took him down. Didn't get any takedowns in that fight. In, in the third round, it seemed to be a lot more of the same. So, again, I had to give the second and the third round to Jocko. He got the decision, which I believe was the right call. Uh, Eric Anders at middleweight, he looked great. I like him at 205. I think he carries the power up there really well. Jocko's a stud, and uh, he's got a lot of – he's got a really high ceiling uh, at 185. So, we'll see what's next for those guys. The one that I was looking forward to very, very much was uh, our next fight. with Edson Barbosa dropping down to 145, dropping down to featherweight, fighting the tough – uh, Hawaiian, Dan Ige, uh, Barbosa dropped Ige early in the first, and I thought was going to finish him. Ige showed his toughness and showed his chin off of his back, got back to it and really brought the fight for the rest of the uh, next two rounds. Again, I had, I had Barbosa winning 29, 28. I thought that was pretty clearly what happened. It's not what the judges said. They gave the fight. Split decision to Ige, not to say that it wasn't close, because it was. Ige was fucking showed a lot of heart, showed a lot of scrap, uh, really landed some nice shots as well. I just thought it was clearly Barboza two rounds to one, but who am I? I'm just a fan, right? So, Dan Ige gets a split decision over Edson Barboza in his 145 debut. Edson, as that is. Uh, next, we had our strawweight fight with Angela Hill versus Claudia Gedalia, <clears throat> the first round, Claudia got the you know got the takedown, but didn't do much damage. And I thought, literally, even though they were close in the second and the in the third, I gave Angela Hill. I thought she landed more. She looked more crisp. She was bouncing on her feet. Claudia was trying to counter some, but and she caught her a few times. But for me, Overkill Hill clearly won the second and the third. But yet again, that is not the case as far as what the judges saw down in the Florida Athletic Commission. Uh, they gave the split decision to Claudia. So, I mean, I love Claudia Gedalia, but come on, man. That was definitely not her win. She won the first round. She did not win the second or third. That was fully Angie Overkill Hill. That's, that, yeah, that's my opinion, and that was shared by a whole lot of motherfuckers on Twitter, for sure. Uh, we're going to do things, and then we're going to move into our main event, which was Alistair Overeem versus Walt Big Ticket Harris. Um, I've been an Overeem stand for many, many years, but honestly walt harris with the story of uh his stepdaughter uh, you know kind of leading into the whole thing obviously all of our hearts were with walt harris if we have a heart which i do so i was clearly kind of hoping walt harris pulled it out with one of his big shots and he almost did dude he cracked over him in the first round split his eyes split his head look like his mouth was real bloodied up um But then, you know, Alistair was able to reverse position, uh, get his back, get Walt's back and kind of kind of hold back control for the remainder of the first round. And then in the second, uh, take him down again, spend the the whole rest of the second round as long as the fight lasted on his back, flattened him out up against the fence, finished him with ground and pound. It wasn't like they were devastating shots by any means, but Walt wasn't moving. So. You know, the ref had no choice but to stop it. We all feel for Walt Harris, but I mean, big kudos and shout out to him for for putting on the performance that he did. We all hope that uh he can come back strong and uh get a win in his next one Overeem looked really good after you know getting rocked in the first and you know he's always somebody who could be one or two fights away from a title shot i mean really he's that good so that is our recap of the two jacksonville cards this week for us spoiled ufc fans who you know we were starved 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 and then we got fed a buffet (laughs) over the last week of three cards so very cool feel very lucky even though i didn't agree with a lot of the decisions last night i was still stoked because it was a lot of really good really close fights really fun fights so uh in the interest of continuity this week we're doing a little bit different we're going to do our voice questions first uh before we give drea a call and get into the twitter questions and her drop of the night so i know my first question comes from the big homie jim soon and jim what do you got for us this week my man
1: what's going on you bunch of fucking casuals well rhino uh, I thought it was Sunday morning, but I just realized it's Thursday morning, but I'm going to send this in anyways. Um, I'll probably give you another one too for this week's card or Saturday's card. Um, what do you think about the Anthony Smith fiasco? I think Herzog should have stopped it before he even got that far where the corner should have stopped it in between rounds. That's my opinion when he curled up into a ball uh, in the second round there. That was his way of saying I'm done without saying I'm done. You know what I mean? You're just waiting for the ref to step in and stop it that way instead of quitting. I don't know. That's my question for you, man. What's your thoughts on that uh, fiasco there with the main event? And it's always 420. Peace.
0: Yeah, Jim. Like I was just saying before, I know Jason Herzog has admitted he made a mistake. And, you know, kudos to him for doing that. <laughs> but to me, it's not all on him for having the fight be stopped. It's it's far more about the corner, right? Your corner people are supposed to be people who know you, who care about you, who care about your well-being, who know when you are uh, out of the fight, who, when you're being you know, taking way too much damage, being hurt, uh, way more than you're hurting the other guy. They know you day in and day out, what you're like in the gym, what your personality is like, and they have to be able to protect you from yourself. If you are too tough for your own good and you're just going to sit there and take a beating, B, they've got to know that. That's why they're your chief second. That's why they're your corner. And it's more their responsibility than the referees to call the fight. If they think you're taking a really hard beating. So that's, that's the reality of a situation like this. Um, yeah, so that's my answer on that one. Well, thank you so much for asking it, Jim. I know my next one comes from my homie uh, Juice from the Fighting With Myself podcast, my, my favorite vegan, and he asks us...
2: Hey Rhino, it's Juice from the Fighting With Myself podcast. I'm sure you're going to get a ton of questions about the Anthony Smith fight. Uh, I'm sure you're also going to get a ton of questions about Walt Harris and things like that. Uh, and But I want to talk about something you... Well, you probably are going to get some questions about this, too. But uh, it's on my mind. Uh, I can't stop thinking about the judging from these events. Uh, In my opinion, it was terrible. And judging in MMA is already uh, in need of vast improvement. But these past two events, the UFC Jacksonville events, have really shown that, in my opinion. So particularly the one uh, from last night, let's call it UFC Jacksonville Part 2, I thought um, the chito vera fight uh, Marla vera versus songy dong the angela hill fight versus claudia delia uh both went to the wrong uh winner arguably the barboza fight as well although that was uh, close enough but uh, what are your thoughts man love the show love you peace
0: so yeah juice you know judging has been a big point of contention from uh this week's cards specifically last night I don't know if terrible is the right word to use. It might be. I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm not sure if I fully co-signed on using the word terrible when it comes to officiating. I definitely, just like you, I had Chito Vera uh, beating Sung Yudong two rounds to one. I also definitely had Angela overkill Hill beating Claudia Gedalia two rounds to one. And again, I had Barbosa. uh, I had Barbosa beating Ige. So I was, I was not in the same opinion as the other, as the judges were on those three fights. However, were these like horrible, egregious, couldn't, can't believe it. Uh, I I don't know, man. Especially the uh, Barbosa Ige was, was, was pretty close. The other two were close and they were really exciting, fun fights. Again, I don't know what to do to, uh, you know, undo it when that, those kind of things happen. It's such a, our sport of MMA is so beautiful and fun and violent and crazy, and there's so much excitement and it's so badass, and I love it. And this is one of those few things that's just a constant bugaboo of what the fuck, man. <laughs> you know, like so many of us saw it one way. Why didn't you guys see it this way, too? I, I don't know how to undo it. I don't know how to fix it at this point. I, I've been a long proponent of having former fighters. Uh, go, you know, become judges. I know that could t- probably take take away some of this nonsense. But, yeah, man, it's definitely a discussion worth having. So, thank you so much for calling in, my man Juice. Uh, if you guys haven't already, absolutely check out the Fighting With Myself podcast. Uh, Juice sings. He, he probably dances. I don't know. He smokes, he smokes the gans before and after, I think. He is so funny. He's so awesome. And he has great MMA insights. So, check him out. Alrighty, our next voice question comes from my man, my, my poster creator, my, the Einstein of graphic design, Dave Fretz, and he has a special guest for us on his question today.
3: Hey, what's up, Rhino?
4: Hey, what's going on, man? It's uh, Dave Fretz, at Dave Fretz and at Solo Shoes on Twitter and Instagram. Hope you're doing well, man. Uh, I got a question here for you today. want to talk a little bit about uh, Edson Barboza. And, uh, yeah, just wondering what you thought of his performance. Um, personally, I th- thought he took the fight. Um, but there was a couple iffy, shaky, judging fights last night. Uh, but that's beside the point. I'm, I'm wondering what you think uh, he should do next. Who do you think uh, Barboza should face next? And, uh, yeah, where does he go from here? Do you think he... He looked all right there uh, in his new weight division. I thought his power looked like he was still there. looked good. But anyways, I just want to hear your thoughts on that situation. Take care, man.
0: How cool to have my main man, Judah, back. The combat sports with Rhino, mascot supreme. Uh, What's up, Judah? So, Dave, to answer your question, uh, I liked Edson's performance at 145. I liked the way he looked. He seemed healthy. He seemed to have high energy. He seemed to have high output I am surprised that his um, power didn't translate more. I thought that when he dropped Ige, I thought that was going to be enough to put him out, but clearly it wasn't. Now, is some of that due to the toughness of Ige? It sure as fuck is. But I thought maybe like the 155 power uh, had to have some of the edge taken off of it in order to not be able to finish uh, finish Ige with some of those shots. So if he feels healthy and he feels good, I see. I see Barbosa being able to compete with anybody at one forty-five from like positions of like number fifteen rank to like number four or five, really, uh, and give all of them problems and possibly get a win. So, if he feels good, he feels healthy, and he wants to at forty-five, go ahead and do it. Um, I like him better at fifty-five. I think just because he seems do you know, like he has more power there. And granted, he's taking a lot of L's, but he's also got a lot of great wins. And he's a scary motherfucker at 155. So, yeah, obviously we'll leave it up to him. But I liked him at 45, and I wouldn't mind seeing him there again, for sure. So if you guys haven't already checked out Dave Fretz, at Dave Fretz, and at Solo Shoes on Twitter and Instagram, definitely do yourself a favor and check it out. He is the... Einstein of graphic design, as I call him, he is an amazing graphic designer for not only shoes, but posters, T-shirts, hats, whatever you got your mind on. This guy can put the design together. Blow your mind, my man, Dave Fret. So that is going to swing us right into our Twitter questions of the day. So Dave Reigns, why don't we give Drea a call? And now we have our segment on the Twitter questions from my dear homies of the Rhino gang. I know our first one comes from my good friend, Phil, the MMA dude from the always entertaining split decision podcast. If you guys haven't already checked it out, please do with him and the fight geek talking all their shit. Uh, it's always a good time. So Drea, what does Phil have for us this week? My friend.
3: Hey, Rhino. What do you make of Sarge Banks in her current form? She has serious holes in her game, but I would argue that women's bantamweight has never been weaker. I think she finds her way to an eventual title fight, but no way she becomes champ. Is my prediction too kind to her? What are your thoughts?
0: So I think Shajara Eubanks is a good fighter, dude. I think she's a B-level fighter right now. Uh, Keep in mind, she's only had nine pro fights. Now, you can't include the exhibitions from her season on top, so she's had nine pro fights. Uh, even at the age of 35, she definitely has time to improve her overall game. I say it all the time. It's not the age, it's the miles, right? So with only nine fights, she hasn't had a ton of injuries, she has had a ton of um you know, wear and tear on her body. The I grant you that women's bantamweight weight is not as strong as it has been uh, in the past right now, but I have a very hard time seeing a five and four fighter. Uh, Competing for a championship in in the UFC and the anytime like near future, like like I said, she absolutely could improve. And if she rattles off three or four straight, uh, I'm definitely willing to reopen the discussion. Uh, The one we see right now, this is Jerry Mixers right now. I do not see competing for a title, but she definitely has time uh, to improve and be able to get herself there. So, thank you so much for asking that one, Phil. Uh, Our next one comes to my our dear friend. He loves to call me brother and you sister. He is such a sweet kind awesome European my man Antonio Pineda and what does Antonio have for us today Drea
3: my brother Vino and my lovely sister I hope you're doing well and are safe do you think Stipe versus DC is going to happen or do you want to see Nganu versus DC or maybe even Jones versus Nganu at heavyweight what's your take on the heavyweight division
0: uh, my good brother Antonio, yes, I do think that Stepe DC3 does happen. And I, I honestly believe that Stepe is going to retain uh in that fight which is going to set up Stepe and Francis Ngannou too. I do think that Jones and Ngannou might happen down the road, but I really doubt that John Jones wants to make his like heavyweight debut against somebody with the punching power of Francis Ngannou. I really don't see that happening. Um if he does want to, you know, Dip his foot into the pool of the heavyweight division. Francis is not the first one to get in there with. Um, I do think Francis is very, very possibly a future UFC heavyweight champion. UFC heavyweight division is strange. It's always, it, it's never super duper deep, right? Like there's never like, Oh, anybody one through 10 is like just as good as the other one. But the thing about it is the guy at number 14 can beat the guy at number one, because the power that these guys have in their hands and in their kicks, it's just different. It's a whole different level than all of the other divisions. So a guy with a little bit less skill or talent could very well beat a guy more talented more often just based on that. So just to clear it up, my brother, yes, I do think Stepe in DC3 happens. I got Stepe winning it. I think that'll set up in Ngannou and Stepe 2. I don't think John Jones... Has his first heavyweight fight versus Nganu. Even though that would be super entertaining, and would it would glue people to the TV. I just don't see it. So that that's uh that's my answer for that one, my good friend. Hope you're staying safe over there in uh in beautiful Amsterdam in the Netherlands. So I know our third question from Twitter today comes from my good buddy Raging Sweet Potato from up in old Canada. So what does uh, Raging Sweet Potato have for us today, Drea?
3: First. Do we as fans tend to put too much emotion into our judging of the fight, especially when it comes to close decisions and how upset we can get about what we feel is bad judging? And second, why are fighters so thoroughly convinced that they are capable of judging a fight that they are in when they will very obviously have only a single extremely biased viewpoint?
0: Right. These are two great questions, uh, Rajan. The, the answer to the first question is no. I don't think that we as fans put too much emotion into how we see a fight and how it's gone and that we get too upset because uh, even with the wrong decision, because being passionate and being like people actually really caring about the outcome is one of the reasons why this sport is so great and why we are such a rabid fan base is how much we invest emotionally into it if you have blinders on where you see somebody get their ass kicked for three rounds and then you are complaining and crying that they should have won, that's a, that sounds like something that's a further personal problem than uh, just being passionate and wanting to be a fan of the fighter that you care about the most. But if it's close and I mean, close, close and you are, you know, you freak out because your favorite fighter didn't win. I think that's okay. I think it's okay to yell the screen or say it's bullshit or to get on Twitter and be like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? I think that's perfectly acceptable and one of the cool parts about our sport. Uh, the second part of your question is a little harder to explain, but when you've been in there fighting, you really do have a sense of if things are working out in your favor or not, right? Like, you know if the things that you're trying to do are happening at a pretty high rate, And you also know the opposite. You know when your opponent is getting the better of you in spots. And you know when your opponent is getting things off that you are like, fuck. You know what I mean? Like, I've been in there a lot. I've been in there 21 times, and I can tell you that you know when things are going your way or when things are not going your way, okay? So there's that aspect of it. You got to mix that with what your corner is conveying to you in between rounds. So what they're telling you, they should be being honest with you and letting you know what's working, if you're doing better than your opponent, if he's getting the better of you, what you need to change up. And then, like, a small sprinkle on top would be kind of how the crowd is reacting. So if you're getting the the oohs and the ahs, and you can kind of read that kind of resonates with you when you're in there. If you're getting that mixed with what your corner is saying to you, mixed with what you're feeling like in there, you do have a pretty good sense about what's happening. So, I mean, unless you're completely again, if you're completely lost in there and you have no idea what's going on, you have a feeling of what's going on. So, yeah, there, there really is a obviously you're biased as far as you think you want, but there really is kind of a tangible way of explaining in your mind, whether you think you won or whether you think your opponent won or if it's super duper razor close. So yeah, those are great questions, man. That really made me uh, really maybe go into the old brain there and think about things, but great question. Rachel Potato. Thank you so much for asking it. Now, Drea, we had, we had lots of options for your drop of the night. Cause we had two cards to, uh, mm-hmm. to, to draw from. What did you end up landing on for, drea's drop of the night for episode 23 of combat sports Rhino.
3: <laughs> well yes what a night of fights and shit decisions in my opinion but i'm here for the drops and there were quite a few to choose from so um, i'm actually going to go with the one that was a bit shocking for me brown versus baeza Uh, I went into that fight thinking Brown was just going to knock his head off. And, you know, (laughs) the first round was definitely looking that way. Um, Brown dropped Baeza against the cage, you know, with that flurry of strikes. And um, amazingly enough, Baeza was able to recover. And he actually came back and, you know, dominated the end of that round. And then so early into the second round, Miguel set him up with that. That leg kick and then caught him with the powerful left hook from hell that dropped Brown to the mat and and he got that KO. So my drop of the night goes to Miguel Caramel Thunder Baeza.
0: Yeah, that's certainly a good one to choose from. I thought Matt Brown looked physically better than he's looked in years, dude. He looked Mm -hmm. like he had put on some muscle. He looked strong. Again, he dropped him, like you said, in the first round. Matt Brown has such great elbows. He's such a good inside clinch fighter. I thought that once we saw that it was the beginning of the end, uh, for, for the Shame. kid, by, for the kid Baeza, but man, in that second round. He floored Matt Brown. My heart dropped a little bit. My jaw, I was pretty bummed out, but a great win Me too. Uh, for the kid to stay undefeated. So yeah, great drop of the night, uh, Drea. And so, yeah, we have to take a little bit of a, of a, of a hiatus on fights. They're still up in the air for the 30th. I know. I mean, I know there's still still some discussions going on, whether we'll get a uh, card on the 30th, but if not, We'll be back on the 6th, and uh, but we'll definitely still have you on next week to give us another drop of the night.
3: All right. Thanks for having me again, and I'll see you next week.
0: And now, ladies and gentlemen, the latest fighter to go 10 rounds with Rhino, a personal favorite, Ike Valley Flag out of New Mexico, but originally from my neck of the woods in Michigan. What a great interview. Check it out. Ladies and gentlemen of CSWR, we have got ourselves quite the treat today. My guest going 10 rounds with Rhino is none other than the veteran of Titan FC, King of the Cage, Strike Force, the UFC, and now the Bare Knuckle Fighting Championships, originally from the great state of Michigan, now residing in beautiful New Mexico, my man Ike Ville Flag, How are you today, sir? Good, man. How are you doing? Oh, we're doing right as rain. It's... uh. It's been really nice in Michigan for the past few days. And just like Michigan style, it is now cold and dreary. And here we have some snow coming on the way. So, yep, typical yeah. stuff around here, as so you'll remember. Yeah, and that's why I moved away <laughs> from that state, because fuck that. You didn't make a decision.
5: Yeah.
0: This is not a place to be. Uh, Ike, man, like I like to do with my guests, round one is really, I love hearing the back, how you got into it um well
5: all right so how i got in the mma i uh kind of just uh i had a good friend who was doing some jiu-jitsu and i was kind of a knucklehead growing up and and uh well i'd seen some ufc's some of the early ufc's and i had a buddy who was into jiu-jitsu up in santa fe and uh and he would come home and kind of kick my ass we were living together at the time and and uh and so I started training with uh, him and Alberto Crane and a guy named Arlen Sanford, uh, doing some fighting stuff and just kind of, kind of took off from there. Uh, I actually originally before MMA I did uh, that the stick fighting with the Dog Brothers and then that's kind of what. Oh wow. MMA, so.
0: Okay. That's very cool. I remember Alberto Crane in the UFC. I remember him fighting Huerta and a couple other guys in the UFC. I definitely remember Alberto. Um, yeah. that's cool I didn't know there was a, I didn't know there was a connection there that's awesome uh, yeah, what he prompted was... the move go ahead oh no go ahead you go oh no I was just gonna say uh what what prompted the move from uh my beautiful yet whole cold both of our home state of Michigan what prompted the move from uh from here to to beautiful New Mexico uh honestly it was
5: uh I, I you know I was 20 years old and I was uh sick of i had been in, New Me- or in Michigan my whole life and I uh, got kind of sick of it there and and uh, I had some buddies that who lived in the mountains up here, so I thought I'd come out here with uh, and, and live in the mountains for a little bit, and just kind of stuck.
0: Well, I'm, as someone who's only been there one time, I got to tell you, it's one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen in my life. So I don't blame you one second for wanting to stick around there. Now, when so you moved, you moved to New Mexico at 20. Um, how long until you found your way to Jackson, Wink?
5: Uh, it took a couple of years because we're we're I was up in Santa Fe, uh, in Albuquerque, it's about an hour from there. We knew about the Jackson Wing guys, and in in some of my first fights uh, were were on the same cards as like Diego and Joey Villasenor and, uh, and all like the and Keith Jardine and all the old G guys. But you know, I didn't start training down there for another for a couple years after I started fighting, and uh, you can kind of see when I got serious about fighting and and, uh, on my record because that I I moved down there and then I didn't lose another fight for like I think a few years, like seven years after that or
0: something like that. So. Yeah, we will. Uh, we'll definitely revisit uh, the Jackson Wink Academy a little bit later uh, in the interview, but because I definitely want to hear more about that. Like, uh, 31 fights is an incredible career to have. You're talking to somebody who's had 21, and you and I are about the same age, and I'm a fucking mess. <laughs> in, in your career, does there a fight? Because there's one for me about your career, but is there one fight in that 31 fights that really sticks out as like that was the best showing? that, you know, that I think people have seen of me or one that was, you know, just one that sticks out as kind of a favorite for you. Uh, so
5: there, man, I always go back to, so I, I think the Jay-Z fight and strike force is one of my favorites just because uh, there that was the first big name I fought, you know, and, uh, and yeah. I, was, I was scared to death of that dude because, uh, you know, i had been a fan of his for years and I'd watch him, I mean, he was smoking people in K1 and everything uh and you know after he I, I remember he didn't knock me out in the first round in cups and he's you know you've eaten his best shots and he's not doing anything to you so open up and i think i kind of i really did kind of find my groove as a stand-up fighter starting in that fight so that's one of my favorites uh you know i like all the fights that i won the one that i lost that i like is the gomi fight obviously you know because uh, i got to fight taknor gomi you know
0: well, that's funny that you mentioned that, Mr. feel Flag, because that's exactly what I have to. And and the thing is this, is that the, the Gomi fight, not only was it an amazing barn burner, and it showed an incredible guts and heart on both of your guys' part, but particularly you, because this is the guy coming over from Japan with the, just every bit of adulation and um, pub behind him, right? And then he, he's going against the, the tough, you know, upstart, Ike flag, and it just turned into this combustion of violence, which was so amazing. Like, that fight stuck out in my mind the absolute most, and to be honest with you, it could have gone to either guy. There wasn't like, uh, he clearly beat you, he clearly beat him. It could have been definitely either way. Um, I could definitely see a case being made for you having taken the W on that night, but man, a fight of the night in the UFC against a legend like that, that is something that you gotta put your feather and a cap on that one, you know what I mean?
5: Yeah, you know, and especially, uh, so, uh, everybody has known that kind of Gomi never had the best ground game in the world, you know, right. Uh, And clay exposed that. And and my whole thing was I'm going to stand in the pocket and throw with Gomi, you know, that was what I wanted to do. Uh, you know, and, and that's kind of, I wish I would have been a little bit better on that night. There was some stuff going on with me that, uh, that made it. So I wasn't the, the greatest fighter that night, but, uh, you know, I, I felt like I did a number to his body and he did a number to my head and, and hats off to him for getting the victory. But, you know, it was a fun fight either way. And it's cool because I got to sit there and trade punches with Gomi, you know.
0: Oh, I can't, dude, I can't even imagine. I mean, and, and to put on such a good showing for yourself, I guess, of his stature was just unbelievable. So, again, when when you and I first got linked up and started talking a little while ago, that was that's like the quintessential... Like billy flag fight for me that sticks out in my head you know i've seen them all but that was the one that kind of just you know that was kind of the first my introduction to being like holy shit what a fucking fighter this guy is um so I, our audience definitely does not know is that you and i were about the same age um yeah. we grew up 45 minutes we grew up 45 minutes from each other um i went to eastern michigan university uh where your dad was actually a psych professor one of the houses I lived at in college was right down the road from where you went to high school. So you and I both have a, you know, big Ann Arbor, Ypsilanti area connection. What are some of the things are, that you miss about Ann Arbor?
5: Uh, you know, the, one of the big things is something I texted you right away about was Blimpy Burger back in the day. Uh, <laughs> yes. The, I mean, it's it's the best burger in the world. And and, uh, and it's i haven't been back in years you know but uh but blimpy burger and uh and obviously going to you know going to michigan games in the big house and and uh you know there's a lot about michigan i love and a lot about ann arbor that i love you know uh yeah i mean it's it's hard to it's awesome being from there i think you know what i mean and uh take a lot of pride in that the fact that i'm from ann arbor you know
0: Yeah, definitely. 100 percent, dude. I'm glad you brought up Blimpy Burger because uh, keep your ears open. There will be a question involving Blimpy Burger here in a few minutes. So keep (laughs) keep tuned for that one. (laughs) So for someone who had 31 professional mixed martial arts fights, the transition into bare knuckle fighting, how how did that take place? Like, what was the genesis of I'm going to switch from MMA into bare knuckle fighting? Like, how does that happen?
5: Uh, honestly, it was, uh, Joe Stevenson got me into it. Um, Joe daddy he, Stevenson. Yeah. Joe Stevenson hit me up and, uh, yeah. Awesome. So he, he, he called me all concerned. He's like, I I have this opportunity for you, but I want both you and your wife to talk to me and tell me it's okay. And, uh, <laughs> and I was like, well, shit, I don't know what he's about to say cause Joe's fucking crazy. And, uh, so right. I was like, this, this, the things could go off the deep end real quick here. And, uh, <laughs> And, uh, and, he was like, uh, and and he was like and and he was like there's an opportunity for you to do some bare knuckle boxing and, and I jumped on it and my wife was a little bit uh, we had we I don't know if we talked about it or, or she was kind of like oh whatever the fuck you want to do kind of a thing uh, sure hoping hoping that I would get it out of my system after a fight you
0: know but that is uh yeah but, so I I was wondering what how the, you know how you make that uh that jump or that transition so it literally just turned into. Uh, a mutual friend of yours got the word from somebody in the organization. He passed it on to you. And then here we are now. That's crazy. But that's the, that's how the fight game works. People I'm telling you, it's strange, but true.
5: Um, Joe, Joe actually hooked me up with my first fight in strike force too. He was offering me, uh, offering me up to Sean Shelby doing sexual favors for uh, for getting in the strike Again, Joe,
0: Joe is the craziest fucker I've ever met. And I, I love him for it. You know? Dude, anybody who can can take the cut on the face that he had against BJ Penn and keep fighting with that kind of ferocity, um, my God, you know he's got to have some crazy in there because what a son of a bitch animal that was to put on that kind of performance. So I can totally see what you're saying on that. Uh, So I've been a pro fighter for a long time. I've had a lot of pro fights. Um, But, see, with boxing, we fight with with heavyweights. We fight with 10-ounce gloves, right? So as someone who fights with 10-ounce gloves, I've always wondered what it was like to fight with four-ounce gloves. Fortunately, I've heard from enough MMA fighters through the years what it's kind of like to fight with four-ounce gloves. What I have never gotten the the person-to-person explanation of, what is it like to fight bare knuckles? I mean, we've all been in a few fist fights, but those usually are 15, 20 seconds of whirling dervish, not a prolonged fight of being bare knuckles so can you kind of walk me through what that's kind of like to be in there with bare knuckles my man
1: uh,
5: it's scary <laughs> I mean yeah. it, it's a, <laughs> it, it, you know the adrenaline rush for you know even with as many fights as I head walking into the bare knuckle stuff uh, was the same as like I had the same kind of emotions that I did for my first MMA fight um, it's you know it's, uh, it really is so the, the thing is, like you said, it's especially like when I fought Melvin bare knuckle, I was like, man, this dude is a hard hitting trained fighter who has been training for a fight with me. It's not like a, a street fight with somebody. It's like, you know, we, we both been training boxing and, and know how hard each other hit and, and, uh, and so to, to get ready for that emotions, emotion wise, uh, and then know that that dude was about to hit you with a bare fist, uh, You know and try to knock you out it's a it's a it's
0: uh daunting to say the least you know sure dude i can't (laughs) i can't even imagine like i said and you're right and you know when you're sitting back in the uh when you're sitting back in the dressing room and you're getting taped and you're getting gloves on. i mean it is it is a gnarly experience that every fighter has to go through the the nerves and the fear the overwhelming sense of dread and the adrenaline all those things i just think those would be just magnified by going out there with, with just nothing on your hands with some wrist tape. So God, kudos to you, dude. Um, we'll go back to that in just a minute. But like I told you earlier, uh, I, I wanted you to keep the Blimpy burger thing on the forefront of your mind. So as people who listen to comments versus Rhino know, I always try to include a food question uh, into the 10 rounds. So this is a very specific one for you because so my man, so being from Ann Arbor and now, living in new mexico for as long as you have you've got to make the choice because there is no all oh, i love them both you gotta make the choice we're talking about a blimpy burger a quint blimpy burger done just the way you like it side of fries whatever drink you want or one of the best burritos done christmas style in one of the many fantastic mexican restaurants of new mexico you gotta choose one ike who are you going uh- with, my man
5: that's that is still to this day the easiest question I'll answer and that's the quint. I mean I'll take a quint or a quad uh with some cheese and some fried fried uh uh cauliflower and a drink from Blimpy Burger any day. Fuck yeah, <laughs> it, dude. Hail to the Victor's Valiant <laughs> <laughs> It it really is. I try to explain to people I've had some really good my buddy owns a restaurant here and he has an amazing burger and uh and I love food, you know, uh, and I try to explain to people, even to people, you know, how good the Blimpy Burger is. And it's indescribable unless you've
0: had one. And people don't believe it until they've had one either, you know. I, I totally agree with you. I've lived in several different places. And uh, fortunately enough for me, the the, the one year I, I lived literally like 10 doors down from Blimpy Burger. It is by far and away the best burger in the world and i'm so glad to have somebody like you who's lived somewhere else for so long which has such a great uh amount of beautiful restaurants like 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 new mexico does to co-sign on this fact Blippy burger number one end of story so yeah moving moving on to our ninth round um having been in every single top organization really since oh three in mma you've seen the sport like you were right at the forefront you were in the mix you were in the pool of the sport exploding and evolving into what it is now. Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship has had several UFC vets crossover. Besides you, you got Beck Rawlings, you got Chase Sherman, you got Leonard Garcia, Julian Lane, you just mentioned Melvin Gillard. Like, I personally love the Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship. I really do. I think it is a sport all unto itself. It's a different subset. It's completely... It's completely new for people because it's been essentially outlawed for a hundred years or more, most places. And I really enjoy the competition. I like the way it's set up. I like everything about it. Do you see the like the possibility or the capability of this catching on with a wide range of people who are already kind of combat sports fans? Uh, I, I hope so. I really do. Um, I like the bare knuckle.
5: I like that 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 platform because it's not boxing, it's not MMA. Uh, it is a it's a new it's a new but old combat sport in itself, you know, especially with the rules right. that they have with the the clinch and the dirty boxing and uh and and you know honestly so there's a lot of people so especially for the just I want to say for for everybody there's the just bleed fans right like and then there's the yeah. people who are who are fans who are technician fans too. Uh, and I think it could cater to either one of those. Uh, you know, so I hope it, it catches on. That being said, it's got a lot of growth to do. You know, they're only, they're, what, 10 cards in and and, uh, and, and you know, so it's and then we hit the coronavirus. So it's got a lot of growth to do, and I think it's got a lot of acceptance to, to get, you know. But it, it it's running into the same shit that, that MMA ran into it. It's a blood sport. It's this. It's that. It's, it's you know, it is what it is. And I think that... You know, now and I think, you know, it's just going to take time, but I, I hope it does get as far as the time can get accepted a little bit more, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely, dude. So uh, Ike, we have now, we have Kareem to the 10th round. Now, my listeners know the 10th round is the wild card round, right? <laughs> the It's the one where anything can happen, anything, anything can go on. It's crazy time. So, for my 10th question, Ike, Villy Flag, longtime veteran of all the major organizations in MMA, can you tell us who was the most influential uh, as far as training uh, your career to get it from where it was at the beginning to where it is now. And that is to say who got you from level a to level B uh, the best and the quickest. I don't know if it's your wrestling or the stand-up. like who was kind of the trainer of trainers that got you from the beginning to where you are now. Uh, You know, so
5: here's, Here's the beautiful thing. I'm going to, again, give credit to Jackson Link as a team and the way it was back in the day. Uh, you know, we were such a team that cared about each other that uh, that you picked up so much information from your, your training partners, as well as, you know, Mike Winklejohn and Joe, Joey Villasenor was the first guy who really kind of took me under the, his wing. Sure. But I could sit here and name and again, I'm not even trying to be diplomatic here, but like, you know, I got lucky that Wink saw some, some promise in me. Uh, I got lucky that I got hooked up with Joe Steven and had a guy like Cub Swanson uh, who, who kind of who told me some honest truths about what I needed to hear as far as like my technical set and the way I should fight. And then guys like uh, Cowboy Cerrone, who really just kind of pushed me in ways because we were living together at the time, pushed me in ways uh, that I never thought I'd get pushed in order to get me there. So, you know, we really did back back in the early the mid 2000s, we had a solid team of people. And and uh, and I can't credit one coach or one one team member because we were a team. And I think that's what got all of us
0: to a different level, you know. Oh dude, that's fucking perfect. Oh my god, I couldn't have asked for a better uh answer on that one. That was awesome. Uh so yeah, Ike Billy Flag, you are the latest fighter to go ten rounds with Rhino and you fucking killed it. We talked about Blimpy Burger. We talked about bare knuckle fighting. We talked about MMA. We really went all over the map and I am for it. I want to say thank you so very much for joining me today, dude. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you over the last few days of, uh, of texting and talking and getting you on here for the air. It was totally awesome. I hope you enjoyed it yourself.
5: Oh, I did for sure, man. Thank you for having me on. I, I really do. I, I like, I like kind of this kind of
0: format that instead of just talking about
5: fighting, but just kind of being a uh, ADD and all over the place with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to describe it. Yeah. It's because I feel like the, there's, there are so many people who do interview fighters, you know, whether it's on TV or on a podcast or on the radio or whatever the case, but it just seems to be the same standard questions all the time. And I don't want it to be just about fighting. I want it to be about random crazy fun things we want to get to know you on a personal level not just about fighting that's kind of the whole that's kind of the whole purpose of why i do it the way i do it so i really appreciate you coming on my man and uh we will definitely we will definitely check back in with you um after your next fight if that's okay with you that would be awesome man thank you again for having
5: me on this is ike valley flag and i just won 10 rounds with rhino
0: holy crap what another fun-filled interview man i love 10 rounds with rhino i loved ike vale at valley flag man he is so cool we're like we're like around the same maze we grew up kind of in the same area what an interesting cool career he's had uh i loved re- reminiscing about uh blimpy burger and some of the old haunts in ann arbor such and such a cool guy we actually ended up talking for like a long time after we stopped recording just because we were having such a good time, man. It was so cool. So thank you so much to Ike for uh, for going 10 rounds with Rhino uh, on this week's episode. Now, as I love to say every week, folks, we are careening to the end of our show. I got to give my shout-outs to Jim Assoon, Juice, Dave Fretz, Phil, Antonio, and... Raised a sweet potato for asking questions this week. Of course, to my guest, Ike Valley Flag, to Drea for her Twitter question reading and Drea's Drop of the Night, to the best, I'm, I'm, I mean, this is legit, the absolute best engineer in the podcast game, my man D reigns everybody else in the Rhino Gang. Thank you so much for making this week's episode happen. Next week, let's look forward to uh, my guest coming in, and you got to check out his brutal knockout on his last fight. His lockout of his last fight was against Marco Polo Reyes. And who am I talking about? Kyle the Monster Nelson. UFC 145, out of Canada. Very, very cool guy. Really cool fighter. Uh, It's going to be a great interview. You guys should definitely check it out. So stay tuned for that. Everybody stay home. If you can, stay safe. Wash your hands. Practice social distancing. We'll get through this together. Thank you so much, Rhino Gang Gang. We love you guys. And we'll see you next week. Cane